Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Thank you for joining us. This is the Pretty Powerful Podcast, and I am Angela Gennari, and I am sitting here with Tammy Green. Thank you so much for joining us, Tammy. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. So I wanted to tell tell our audience a little bit about Tammy. So Tammy is the author of Living Without Skin, a haphazard blogger and thinker of surprisingly deep, sometimes wide thoughts, a real estate professional and healthcare worker by day, author by night, and has also written articles for Elephant Journal. She resides in Memphis, Tennessee with her wife, exceptionally perfect dogs, and a boss cat. She is the lover of words, her grand kitten, caramel cake, and saving items for later in her Amazon shopping cart. I can relate to that. (laughs) You can chat with Tammy at www.wordsofgreen or on social media via Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or TikTok at Tammy Green Author. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So I wanted to first let everybody know that we are in the presence of a real-life supergirl. (laughs) (laughs) and I know this because I am listening to your audible version of your book and I love what you've written and I love that you spent your childhood with a blanket as a cape as a supergirl and I love that you you talk about yourself as I'm not a princess I'm a supergirl and um I everything that you talked about in terms of vulnerability and in terms of being um being vulnerable, but also having superpowers. And the superpowers that you've learned from your vulnerability really spoke to me because I think we all grow up, and you say this in the very beginning of your book, um, don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about, right? (laughs) Who hasn't heard that? Right. (laughs) And so I think we all kind of grew up with that. So because you were taught vulnerability was bad. And as you've grown up, vulnerability has become a superpower. So tell me a little bit about your book and what led you to write this book. So I've always felt like I had a book inside, Mm. um, but never really knew how to start it, when to start it, what it was going to be about. For probably three or so years before I actually wrote it, I was trying to decide whether to do a nonfiction versus a fiction story because I had an idea. Yeah. And... It just sort of came to me that I should probably write about what I know best, and mm. what I know best is my own experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the inspiration behind it. I got kicked into gear because my grandmother, who has been a very important part of my life, was getting older. She was 95, I believe, at the mm. time. She was my, she taught me to read yeah. at age three. And so that's what we always did is read together. And um, I thought, you know, I, I really need to do this before much longer. She's not going to be here forever. Right. So I had written a few articles on Elephant Journal. One was about her specifically. Mm-hmm. And um, I started the book. And then in 2020, she had a stroke in January. Oh, sorry. And I um, 
went, I stayed with her for six weeks, the last six weeks of her life. I took care of her and, um, I was very grateful for that opportunity. It was a very special time to be with her and to take care of her and to give back to her what she had given to me my whole life. Right. So that was the impetus on getting that finished. She didn't make it to see the book actually published, but um, I know she's watching. Yeah, absolutely. And did she know that you were writing it? Yes. Did she know she had a special place in that book? Oh, that's amazing. So um, you, you wrote the book just kind of as a, a kind of a bio, an autobiography of your life. But what I love about how you wrote the book is that you really just talk about, you don't just talk about what your life was like, you talk about all the lessons and you say, this is me living without skin. And this is my new skin. Right, right. Exactly. So tell me what that means. So I think we all end up um, here with our experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we it depends on um, how we react to what happens to us in life. Right. And for me, there were so many instances throughout my life where I had to turn my skin inside out <laughs> in order mm-hmm. to survive. It, it wasn't a voluntary choice. Some of the experiences that I went through were forced on me. And I wouldn't choose it again if I had the choice, but I can see now how necessary it was to point me toward where I'm supposed to be. Right. And for me, I think it was important to embrace the living inside out. And um, I don't know that a lot of people really understand that. Well, and I I 100% agree with you because I think uh, you talk a little bit in your book about the shield of armor that you have worn, you know, and I think that we all do that at at some point, especially through those those formative years in our late teens, early 20s, when we're trying to figure out who are we and we we what we do is we become whoever the world wants us to be versus who we are. And it's not until we're really in our 30s that we start figuring out like this doesn't feel right. Something's not right. And that's when we start digging in and figuring out who are we really. And I think that the times that we know who we are really is when we're children. And then once we've reached that, you know, 35, 40 years old, um, you say in there, and and this was funny, and I can relate to this as well, the hardest part of childhood is the first 50 years. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) It's a heck of a childhood. We're all getting there. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. And so I think we also grow up believing what other people tell us about ourselves. Yes. And other people's perceptions become our own perceptions that we form. And in my own experience, that's just not the truth. Yes. All the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there were, I think people project onto us and then we start to own that. You know, I remember um, when I was younger, I, I've always been defiant, kind of like you. You talk about how you were always defiant and it would ask a lot of questions and, you know, you, people would lose their patience with you because you were always asking why, why, but why are we doing it this way? But why is this happening? And, and I was similar and people would say, you know, she just likes to argue. And it's not that I was arguing. I was a curious child. If, if you're going to tell me to do something, tell me why I need to do it. Yes. <laughs> and, and so they, my family would always say, she's going to be an attorney. We just know it. And so I started owning that. And that was the only thing that I was ever going to be 
not because I felt like that was where I wanted to go, but that's because that was what was projected on me and that was the expectation of me. And once again, I've defied everybody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Went in a different direction. But that was what I wanted to be all through college. That was what I wanted to do, you know, all as I was a teenager. That's that's the only thing I, I felt could be a, an appropriate career path for me. So, um, so sorry, go ahead. No, it, it's still that way for me. That behavioral trait still gets me in trouble today. And I right. try to be cognizant of that and tell people, especially if it's someone I'm working on a project with, right. to like, I'm going to ask you why a million times, but I'm not questioning your method or your technique or your knowledge or your wisdom. I just need to understand why. Yes. Yeah. And well, and my mom is like that too. And she makes me crazy sometimes, but I, you know, I get it honest because she'll, she'll say, you know, um, I'll tell her a story about something and she'll ask the most obscure questions, you know, well, what color was the room? I, I, you know, she'll say, well, and, and so, you know, I'll say, oh, and then this, this happened and this happened. And then she'll ask a question that I could not have any possible knowledge of, you know, well, did, did this person tell that person? Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm not in their room. I don't hear their conversations, but like she needs the full story. She needs the full, like from every angle. <laughs> and so I, she, I always start I'm like, mom, keep the, keep the questions to the things that I've already told you. <laughs> awesome. it because I'm telling you exactly what there is to know. <laughs> so, That's great. I know nothing other than what I've said. <laughs> so, but yes, I understand the asking why. Um, so tell me a little bit more about um, why you should not read bumper stickers out loud. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there are a whole lot of stories like that, unfortunately, from my that. childhood. Um, you know, I was precocious and I read everything, everything. Yes. Cereal boxes, you know, everything I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. And um, at, I guess I was, what, nine. 10, yeah, nine, something ten. like that. And on the motorcycle, and I just thought I was being cute and, you know, adorable when I honked the horn and yelled to the neighbor, just honk if you're horny. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You know, my mother was not appreciative of that cuteness when the neighbor called to Mm -hmm. report that. So, um, yeah, I didn't get, I wasn't allowed to quote bumper stickers after that. But did they honk? (laughs) No, he just waved at me and looked at me kind of strange. <laughs> That's awesome. As he should have. Right. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about some of these stories, because I love what you go into in your book and the things that you've learned. And, and really, like, that's what, you know, when you talk about this is me without skin, and then this is me with vulnerability, and this is my new skin. So tell me about the things that you've learned from those moments. So as I said, you know, I wouldn't say that my childhood was ideal. Sure. Um, my mother and I had a very volatile relationship. I was an accidental pregnancy. Mm. And, you know, they did what they were supposed to do at that time. And they got married and started a family. And I just don't think either of them were very prepared for that. Right. Um, they did the best they could with what they had. But as a result, I felt like I was a burden to my mother most of my life. Mm-hmm. And as a result, that's been chaotic and volatile you know, for the rest of my life. Um, from there, I kind of launched into college at 17. And, you know, the whole, uh, if you can't 
dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with, you know, bullshit. Yes. Thing <laughs> is what I, <laughs> that uh-huh. was how I launched out. And, um, you know, I discovered alcohol in college. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so all the things that felt wrong with me that I had been told were wrong with me mm-hmm. my entire life. Alcohol just wiped all of that away. Yeah. And I was perfect and I was strong and I was invincible and mm-hmm. smart and I knew everything. Right. And it was great. Mm-hmm. And it worked, you know, it, it worked until it didn't. Right. And then when it didn't, I was, I had purchased my own home and had a great job with a local bank and was yeah. on the rise. Mm. And, um, you know, I had a, a an experience in a blackout from alcohol, and yeah. it was not a good experience, right? Which made me question everything. Mm-hmm. And so from there, it's just been like that for most of my life. I have encountered situations that some have been of my own choosing. Some have been as a result of choices that I've made. Um, they you know, there's a lesson in there and I'm not supposed to be on that path. And unfortunately for a lot of years, I had to take the butt whipping to get to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. I've never been one who could hear someone else's experience and say, oh, I should learn from that and do it differently. Right. No, that's not me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I need to do it the hard way. (laughs) Right. I I need to have that butt whipping to truly drive it home. Mm -hmm. I understand. I say the same thing with business. I say, you know, an MBA wouldn't have worked for me. I listen to business classes online or I'll go in and I'll sit in classes and and I hear the information, but it's not resonating with me. It's not until I lose my actual money and I lose my actual time that I learn that lesson. So, you know, for me, getting the information out of a book is not how I need to learn. I need real life to, Absolutely. to teach me. And and it does. It, it's a hard lesson. And I can know the right thing to do going in, but I still may not make the choice until it hurts me a little bit to make the wrong choice. You know, and some of those choices have not been mine. Mm -hmm. You know, when I got into real estate, I did it for all the right reasons. Wanted to take care of my family, wanted to provide for my family. Mm -hmm. And who saw the bubble burst coming, you know, in 2008. Mm -hmm. So I lost everything. And that was... Of course, I chose to invest in real estate, which historically has been the best investment you could ever make. But when I did it, I caused the whole world to like lose money. So. Right. <laughs> so it was your fault that I see. Okay. That everything yeah. just went upside down. Right, right. So, you know, there are things that have happened um, just as a result of being where I am yeah. at the exact wrong time. Yeah. So what do you think some of the the hardest lessons are that you've learned that have you've carried with you to pay attention to yeah. my own to intuition yes. to listen mm-hmm. when one of the first things i learned in recovery mm-hmm. was that if i am pushing on a path mm-hmm. and i'm meeting obstacle after obstacle after obstacle it's probably not where i'm supposed to be right but If I start down a path and things fall into place without me meddling, without me interfering, without me trying to push my will onto it, yes, that's probably where I'm supposed to be. Yes. And that's something I'm still learning today. I think we all are. I think every single day. And, you know, I've said with this podcast, it, I, 
thought I would start this podcast. I kind of thought, well, we'll give it a go and see if anything happens. I don't even know if anyone will let me interview them. I don't know if, you know, I'll stumble over my words. I'll sound ridiculous and I'll probably quit after a week or two. And, uh, but, you know, I've, I've, I had to get out of my own way. And when I did, when I got through the insecurity of being on camera or talking into a microphone, and I got through the insecurity of what if I don't know the right questions to ask? What if they think I'm not as smart as they are? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if? Once I was able to do that, the doors just opened. And, you know, we're several weeks ahead in terms of our of our podcast episodes right now. We are, you know, getting more and more positive feedback. And it's crazy how quickly things fell into place when the only thing that was holding us back was me. <laughs> right. And I think you start realizing that, that if, if everything is happening for you, um, that that's a sign that you're on the right, you're on the right path. I so. totally suffer from imposter syndrome. Yeah, This is my very first book. Yeah, no idea what I was doing. I've learned a tremendous amount mm-hmm. <laughs> since I started on the journey. Of course. But and I'm I'm publishing a sequel to the book later this year. Yeah. That where I'm going to tell other people's stories of vulnerability. Oh, I love not it. Just mine. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. And then I'm also starting a fiction series. And so, you know, the same kind of fears, you yeah. know. I mean, who's gonna buy my book? What do I have to tell people? Right. But I get Feedback from people who, and this has happened mostly my whole life, you know, like Mm -hmm. you're so easy to talk to Mm -hmm. and, you know, you understand what's going on with me. And so I've gotten that same kind of feedback and I love it. I feel very honored that Mm -hmm. people trust me Mm -hmm. with with their vulnerability. Absolutely. I think that's a gift. It, it from, really it's a gift is. to me. Well, and I think, you know, I, I was sitting in church one day and we had a, a pastor come on. Well, he wasn't a pastor. He was our guest speaker. And I almost got up and walked out. And, you know, I've been trying to write a book for 20 years now. And it's the same thing. Like, do I have anything worthy to say? Who's going to read this thing? Like, I don't know if I should do this. And, you know, and, and I remember sitting in this, this church and it's one of these big mega churches here in Atlanta and I love it and I love our pastor and I was waiting for him to come on stage and it was some other guy and I'm like, oh no, not another person. Like I don't want to listen to anyone else. I really want Andy Stanley up there. And so anyway, this guy comes up and he's like in his yeah mid twenties and immediately I'm judging him. You know, what am I going to learn from somebody in their twenties? What? He has nothing to tell me. <laughs> and so I'm almost ready to get up and walk out. And all of a sudden he starts telling a story about how he had stepped out of his comfort zone. And I think he had produced a film or, or a video or something and it, it exploded. And he said, you know, I had this fear that what I was going to say wasn't relevant to anyone and that I was, you know, nobody was going to listen. He was like, but I can promise you somebody out there is waiting to hear your story. And that story is what's going to allow them the courage to take the next step in their life. And that's exactly how I felt reading your book. You know, your courageousness and putting a pen to paper and writing this book is going to allow somebody else to feel like, hey, you know what, I can be vulnerable too. That is a strength. And I love that your your subtitle of your book is everything I never Never knew about fierce vulnerability. Yeah, that's hard to say quickly. It is. <laughs> you really have to sound. <laughs> so, but yes, it's so true. Vulnerability. I mean, that's what I think we're all afraid of, right? We're so afraid to be vulnerable because, like you said, we grew up with this 
stop your crying or I'll give you something to cry about. You know, Absolutely. like it's bad to be vulnerable. It's bad. You, you, you say a lot in your book that you are very sensitive and you were, and you're a Virgo. And I get that. Like you have this sensitivity and this empathy and you want people to feel better. And, you know, you're the one you said, I can share my cape, you know, your super superhero cape with others. And you, you have a lot of stories about that. And I can totally appreciate that. I had some really good role models for learning yeah. how to share my cape. Yeah. My grandmother and my, my Lala. Yes. Um, yes. Has, they've been amazing. And yeah. And you talk about a woman um, who is like a big sister to you, but wasn't a sister. And tell me a, a little bit about her. So that, that is my Lala. Uh-huh. Um, that's my daddy's youngest sister. Okay. She was 16 when I was born. So mm-hmm. I was the first baby of the family on okay. that side. And, you know, everything that went with that, which yes. is probably why my grandmother laughed at everything I did, because, you know. Yeah. Um, so I was 16 when she was born, and I kind of was her first baby. I was the practice baby. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we, I was four, I think, when she married my uncle, and just a, a huge part of their lives. I spent the night with them all the time. We were at their house all the time. Um, and I'm so grateful for both of their influence and impact yeah. on my life. And they've, they've touched so many lives in the small town where they are. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Um, so I think that as women, we have to have these great role models, you know, in order for us to feel the courage to step into our power. And I know that there's so many instances where we give away our power. Um, Can you tell me about a time that you've given away your power? And then tell me about a time that you stepped into your power and what was the difference between them? Absolutely. So every time that I've given away my power, it has been associated with a fear of abandonment. Wow, really? And that's a trigger that I carry from my childhood. Uh Uh-huh. And I... In every relationship with anyone that I have ever loved, mm-hmm. when it has not been the right relationship for me, I do that. I just give it away and I do everything in my power to make another person happy. Wow. And I forget about who I am and myself in that whole process, you know, from my mother to my ex-husband yeah, to my previous love interest, my mm-hmm. brother. And, you know, at one point, even my daughter. Yeah. So uh, those have been the times when I have, you know, just willingly, unconsciously Mm -hmm. given away my power. And I try to be completely aware of that trigger now. I know what it feels like when it's coming. Yeah. So I try to own that and acknowledge it and then work through it before you know, I get to the point of that. Yeah. So you're fearing that they're going to leave you or not accept you. Absolutely. So you go above and beyond to transition to them having the power over you. I do everything I can to earn that love. Yeah. And that position. And, um, anytime that I have gotten my power back, it has come at a cost of losing pretty much everything. You know, um, I, I have lived through hell. Yeah. I have lived through a three-year period of being afraid of being homeless with my kid and living out of my car. Mm -hmm. And I, every, you can't not be powerful when you've lived through hell 
and survived it, mm-hmm. there's really not a whole lot on this earth that I'm afraid of anymore. That's awesome. There's just not a whole lot. Yeah. Well, and you know, you have resilience that you cannot, you cannot understand your power and your resilience until you've recovered from something that tried to hurt you or tried to kill you in some way. Absolutely. And so once you understand your power and your resilience, I think it's a lot easier to step into that power because you know, at the end of this, you will be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Even if it takes reinventing yourself, you know, and that, um, I have a quote on my desk at, at my house in my home office and it says, Right now is the time to reinvent yourself. And I look at it every day. I'm like, yep, today's another day. Reinvent myself again. You know, because again, it's, it's okay. I may have gone through a couple of difficulties, but that's not who I am. You know, today is a new day to reinvent myself and to, you know, create this power and create this resilience and tenacity that you need to keep pushing forward. Well, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, people who have lived, I mean, people who knew me when I was, in high school yeah. or even in college mm. would not recognize me today. I'm confident really? of that. Why um, do you say that? Well, because of that very thing. I've yeah. reinvented myself time after time after time. Yeah. You know, I was going to be a successful entrepreneur in college and I got a corporate job straight out of college and mm-hmm. was well on my way to that. And then I got married and then I was a wife and a mother and and then I got divorced and I was, oh, who the heck am I now? You right. Know, after yeah. 14 years of marriage. And then I was a business owner and then I was not a business owner. Uh-huh. And it, it's just, it's, it's been amazing. Um, and every point of that has produced another challenge that goes along with it. You know, when I, after I divorced about a year after the divorce, I discovered that you know, I probably hadn't been on my true path all along yeah. because I'm actually attracted to women and not men. Yeah. And learning that about oneself at age 44 yeah. is pretty profound. Yeah. And, you know, then there's a whole different set of challenges because now who's going to abandon me? Right. Now well, having the courage to say that out loud and confront the people in your life and say, this is who I really am. Do you still love me? Do you still accept me? Especially for somebody like you who spent their life wanting people to not abandon them and not, you know, not be disappointed. So, yeah. So tell me what that was like. Oh, gosh. That was so frightening. So when I discovered it, of course, I had to go through this complete process of checking in with everything I had been taught about homosexuality yes. in my church yeah. and in my town and in my childhood and all of that. And Small I, town Mississippi. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I spent a year doing all of that and, and coming mm-hmm. to the place where I believe that mm-hmm. God loves me and made me exactly the way that I am. Yes. And I'm okay with that. Well, then I had, I was worried about my kid because she was nine. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to impact her negatively right. with her friends and, and their parents. Right. So yeah. there's a whole different side of that. And then my own family, mm-hmm. you know, um, so my dad and my Lala, you know, I told my dad and, and of course his reaction was, was funny as usual, but, <laughs> but sincere. Right. And that I think maybe the scariest thing I ever did was, was tell my Lala 
Yeah. Because she was so important to me and so she's had such an impact on my life and I could not imagine the rest of my life without her. Oh, I just wow. couldn't. Yeah. And you know, her reaction was, you better not ever wait a year and a half to tell me something again. Oh my gosh. You know, so. <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah, yeah. You know, my mom did not take it so well. Right. Uh, but we, you've had a volatile relationship with her from when you were a child, right? Yes. We haven't spoken since 2012. Wow. And, and that's her choice. Right. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her. I understand that she did the best she could with what she had. Sure. She raised me and... I just have to love her from afar. Yeah. So that's yeah. what we do. And sometimes you do that for your own self-protection too. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you have to, you know, if there's toxicity in your life, even if it's from a family member, um, sometimes for your own good and your own energy and your own peace, you just that's have exactly to love right. from afar. You can still love them, but you don't have to have them in your life all, all the time. So, yeah. Well, at this point, I have more years behind me than I do ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not willing to give my energy to someone who is negative or perceives me as negative yes. or my life is negative or my family is negative. Sure. It's not going to do that. Absolutely. hundred percent. And how did, how was your dad? Oh, my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so I told him and his response was, you know, I, I said, well, you know that this person and I are more than friends. And he said, well, Hell yeah, I know that. Do you think I'm dumb? <laughs> and that he's very blustery and, and mouthy and funny. And I was uh-huh. like, no, I don't think that. And and I asked him, well, do you still love me? And he goes, girl, there's nothing you could ever do that would make me not love you. Oh, I love that. And that, you know, it still brings tears to my eyes yeah. when I think about that. Yeah. Um, it was just important. Well, and I... I- you know, listening to your to your story and hearing the stories of your dad and you riding in the pickup truck and how you would snuggle up with him and he in the in the front and he would make room for you under his arm and he would take you to to preschool and grab some donuts on the way. I love these stories. I think that there's just so they're so amazing and and I love that you're sharing these very intimate moments um, in your story because that is vulnerability, right? It, it's very much is yeah. and writing these stories about family members yeah. who may or may not you know, <laughs> of course I had to clear all that, but sure. um, my dad, who has never really been a big reader, reads a whole lot more now in in his older age than he ever has. But he's read it twice. And both times he said, you know, there were a few parts that made my eyes leak a little bit. And and I try to press him on what that is. And he's like, well, I don't remember. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. That's cool. Okay, so... Um, so as you're coming out to your family and, um, so what was your wife's family like? Were they accepting? Had she already been out? Like, tell me how that worked. Yes. So she had been out since high school, college. Um, I don't know that she was out to her family early, but she has sort of always known, I think. Did that help you maybe? Honestly, I think it's sort of been the opposite. Really? I think with me not realizing this until I was older, I had a lot more confidence and courage because I've walked in the hetero world for so long. It was very easy for me to see the difference between the two worlds. Interesting. Very, 
very different. Huh. And it this was before same-sex marriage was legal. Sure. You know, there were 1,173 rights that I had married to a man that I didn't have wow. married to a woman. Wow. So huh. um, that was very enlightening. Right. And I came out at a time when the world was a lot more accepting of that, even though it was still scary. But she, you know, in college, she had difficulties with her family and, Mm -hmm. you know, walked through some pretty challenging times with them. And there were times when she was alone. And, Mm -hmm. and that breaks my heart today to think about that. Um, today, you know, that's, that's not the story and they're very close family and they have accepted me and my daughter without hesitation and they love us to pieces and I love them to pieces. And that's awesome. They're very, it's, it's good. It's a good thing. Well, that's wonderful. I'm very happy to hear that. So who inspires you? So I would probably have to say my grandmother was the biggest inspiration of my life. She was very much a feminist in a time when that was not acceptable. She um, was a single mother of two very young children. My daddy was 10 months old when my grandfather, Jesse, was killed on an oil truck. So she remarried and had two more children and... um, Right after that, she went through nursing school on her own. Wow. Um, ended up divorcing my grandfather, struck out again on another life. Wow. And, you know, she's she's probably the one in my life who has done most of the things that I, that inspire me to do, you know, stick my hand and dabble in all these little things. She's flipped houses. She was a nurse. She sat with, well, at 83... She was someone who did private nursing and sat with elderly people in their homes and and that kind of thing. And if you ask her what she did, she said, well, you know, I sit for older people. (laughs) Right. And she was old. Yeah, she was 83. (laughs) I babysit old people. That's amazing. So, you know, and she's always, she's super smart, um, super intelligent, way beyond her years, wise. Uh And then, and then probably next would be Malala. Oh, yeah. She was always, she's always been the love backbone of our family. Yeah. And there's not a person that crosses her threshold who leaves without knowing that they are loved and cared for. Yeah. That unconditional love that everybody needs. Absolutely. That's that's wonderful. Um, Yeah. My great grandmother was the same. She was 86 years old when she passed away and um, she worked right up until she passed and when, when, uh, when, and she worked at a senior living center and she, <laughs> she, I don't even think she got paid for it. I think she was volunteering, but she would say, I've got to go, I've got to go play games with the old folks at the old <laughs> folks home. <laughs> she's, she's, I love that. Like, she, right. I love it, you know, and that was just, you know, I, I, I am just so, um, impressed with that generation that, you know, they are just yeah, that whole—I don't know what is it before baby boomers, really? What is the oh, grandparents' yeah. generation? But they are um, depression you know, era. Yeah, kids. just the 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 tenacity and the eth- the work ethic in, of their generation is—it's mind blowing, right? So, what advice would you give to your eighteen-year-old self setting out on your journey? Well, first of all, 
my 18-year-old self would probably tell me to F off. <laughs> Again, that resistance to authority. <laughs> right. She would, she would tell me, I don't have time for you. Just go do your thing and leave me alone. But I would probably tell her to pay close attention to her intuition. Yeah. And to trust it. I would probably tell her to maybe try running or biking instead of alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. To try to fill that void inside. I, um, and I think that I would just tell her that she is not what everyone else has told her that she is, Mm -hmm. that she's so much more than that and that she can trust that and that she can trust that someday she's going to give birth to a child who will be the entire joy of her life. Yeah. And someday she's going to meet the love of her life who will show her all the parts that she was meant to be. Wow. I love it. So of all the obstacles and the challenges that you've been through through your life, and I mean, you know, you tell the stories in your book and, and it, it, you can just, you can really connect with people through your book. Tell me, what do you think is the, the, the most challenging obstacle that you've had to overcome and how you got through it? Tell me about what kind of resilience you had to to have the courage to have in order to get through that? The <clears throat> surviving the complete collapse of my financial independence was right. probably and the hardest. And this is after your divorce, right? This is after, well, this was kind of leading up to the divorce. Okay. I was 13 years sober. Okay. So I was already sober. Yeah. And I had purchased 18 rental properties in a matter of a year and a half and Mm. was well on my way. And of course, you know, the market tanked Mm -hmm. and I lost everything. Mm. I I couldn't sell the homes for what I had borrowed them for. And I had bought them at 80 cents on the dollar when I bought them. Yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't sell them for the mortgages that I had on them. I, I, um, I had, you know, I was working as a realtor as well, helping other people. And then I had the investment business and, you know, both of those businesses tanked. Mm. So I really was, I was so afraid that I was going to have to move back to Chunky, Mississippi uh-huh. with my daughter and live <laughs> yeah. in my dad's basement. Right. I was petrified of that. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going back to school. I had reached a point where I, I couldn't handle... Any more collection calls? Mm-hmm. And I had a moral, uh, I had a moral opposition to bankruptcy uh-huh. because I felt like that was a failing, and I did not want to go back on my promise that I had made to the people who had financed the houses. Sure. And I finally got to the point where I had to, I had to do something different. Mm-hmm. And so I filed for bankruptcy and divorce on the same day. Wow. My ex-husband had moved to the coast after Hurricane Katrina and started a building business there. So he was coming home once a month on the weekend. Uh-huh. And I was here trying to survive, trying to single parent, working any odd job that I could possibly find. Yeah. And, and it, it was just too much. It was taking yeah. a big toll on my health. So... I filed for bankruptcy, I filed for divorce, and I enrolled in a two-year program to learn how to take x-rays. Wow. So I could get another job. This was 20 years after I had a bachelor's degree in accounting. Wow. (laughs) 
Talk about reinventing yourself. Right. Yeah. So I spent the next two years going to school and digging myself out of the hole that Mm -hmm. I had been in. And it just, you know, it felt like the universe had a complete stink eye out for me Mm -hmm. the whole time. And then finally it broke. It just broke. Yeah. And I got a job. I graduated. I got a job at a hospital and was earning money again. The property management business was doing okay. It had put groceries on the table for the last two years. So it was doing okay. Good. My daughter was thriving. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it was just good. And that in and of itself, I spent a three year period going to AA meetings daily and sitting in there and crying for an hour each day. Wow. And the only reason that I didn't take a drink mm-hmm. during all of that is because I knew that I wouldn't put it down until I died. Wow. If I took one drink, I was going to do it until I died. And the thought of leaving my daughter behind mm. broke my heart. Wow. So she's heard me say this before, but she saved my life. Yes. She really did. Absolutely. And just by existing. Yeah. Just for something to live for. You had something to live for bigger than you. Yep. And... And now you've, you're an author and you've created this incredible book telling a story that I think is going to resonate with so many people and you have no idea how many people you will save through this. So congratulations on that. That's amazing. That's so very exciting. It's, it's, it's more reason than ever for you to have gotten through all that you've gotten through because your story, you have no idea who it's going to connect with. Absolutely. And, and you know who it may save in the future, who's going, who are going through something similar, you know, afraid to be vulnerable, afraid that they're not going to come back from this. I mean, when you can file for divorce and bankruptcy in the same day, you know, and, and not know if you're going to get through it and you're, you're in, you know, you're, you're in recovery at the same time and you made it through and you are sitting here today, the author of a book. So congratulations on this incredible journey. Thank you. So one last question for you. What do you wish people knew? What do you wish people knew in any way that you want to answer that? I wish people knew that financial success is not the ruler for measuring success. Yes. I think that we are all subjected to that, especially in this country. Yes. Because we're so capitalistic Mm -hmm. and we're trained for that as children. And I wish that people knew that that's not where your self-worth comes from. Yeah. Because I was fooled for, by that for so long. Mm-hmm. I wish that people knew that, that they are more powerful than they could ever imagine. Yeah. And that they could use that power to create communities in yes. a world that Absolutely. is so good for all of us. Mm-hmm. That's what I wish. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I agree. People are so much more powerful than they give themselves credit mm-hmm. for. Yeah. And if you only knew, if you, like like we were saying earlier, you have no idea who's waiting to hear the words that you have to say. Absolutely. So, you know, get out there and be vulnerable. So, yay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. I love your story. And highly encourage everyone to go read Living Without Skin. I think it's an incredible book. And I can't wait for the sequel. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. 
Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.